Welcome to the 87th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week 7 of the college football season, and recapping week 6 of the NFL season. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in college football where Patrick went 1-3 in his predictions, and he followed that up in the NFL with a 2-2 two two weekend. So Patrick was 3-5 and five overall in this weekend's predictions, bringing him to 206 and 155 overall, a 57.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, uh, in the college football predictions, there were a few really, really unexpected results, actually. I mean, I could have gone with a few games for my fourth game. Uh, I decided on NC State and Boston College because I had previously put my support behind Boston College as a better team in the ACC, and I figured why not just throw a prediction my way to throw a prediction their way to reaffirm that belief. However, I should have reaffirmed my belief in another team that I think is the second best team in their conference, or third best, I should say, uh, and that's Ole Miss, and if I had done that, picking them over Tennessee, I would have gone 2-2 two and two instead. But regardless, uh, I'm really honestly surprised. I mean, Texas choked the game against... Oklahoma State were outscored 16 to nothing in the fourth quarter. We'll we'll get to that later. Um, but that was a team that I had picked to win a, to win their game. And then also Auburn was was able to go on the road and beat Arkansas, uh, which was another shocker. So those two losses were really really shocking. Fourth loss, not so surprised. Could have picked a few games. Could have be could have picked BYU Baylor. Uh, but actually, ironically enough, even though BYU was 19th on the road against an unranked team, Baylor was actually favored by a touchdown in that game. So didn't really feel right to pick them in that game. Uh, and similarly, there's another game this weekend that involves a big turn t- up in this upcoming weekend. Actually, Iowa State has opened as a seven-point favorite over number eight in the country, Oklahoma State, even though Iowa State is unranked and Oklahoma State is in the top 10. Uh, but regardless of that, that's looking ahead in the future, but... Uh, sometimes it just doesn't feel right to pick the upsets when they're so obvious, I feel. So I uh, didn't want to go with one of those. And then in the NFL, a really close Monday night football game. Uh, pushed those predictions in the wrong direction. But overall, a pretty good a pretty good week. And then two lopsided games that I had picked that really were supposed to be evenly matched. And then, one, and then two close games. So uh, pretty good predictions overall. I mean, well, not pretty good in terms of results, but... Uh, pretty good games that were involved in my predictions overall, and they were fun to watch while I was following if my team was going to win or not. All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. Let's now turn our attention to actually uh, looking back at some of those games or the the, uh, the sports that Patrick predicted. We're going to start with our weekly look back at college football. Patrick, what did you have as the best games of Week 6 in NCAA football action? Well, before we move on to that, a little note. I will not be doing MLB predictions because there's only one game. And also, if you know the flow of playoff series, when one team wins one game, you kind of need to see how they win or if they win to kind of predict the next one. So it feels a little bit off to predict Game 1 and Game 2 of a series or something like that. So I'm not doing that anymore because that would I would end up predicting pretty much one game a weekend. Especially by next weekend, we never know who'll still be games. alive. Yeah, there might not be any games, uh, so not a good idea there. And college basketball and the NBA are starting soon. Actually, the NBA starting tomorrow, so I will actually be replacing those MLB predictions with NBA predictions, uh, and then later replacing college football with college va- basketball. Uh, that's a little bit of the future, but now let's go back to the past in college football this weekend. Uh, yeah, the best game I think I think easily for me was Ole Miss at Tennessee. 
Maybe kind of because of the craziness at the end with fans throwing water bottles and golf balls, etc. That ended up docking Tennessee $250,000 as a university uh, because of that. But again, I don't really know why fans are blame why the university gets fined for stuff fans do. But I guess it's a it's a detractor in the future. Um, And well, although it is weird because Texas A and M also got fined a hundred thousand dollars because they stormed the field, which is something that I didn't know was an actual SEC rule, but it is. But they stormed the field after beating Alabama. Uh, apparently, if you're unranked and you beat number one, you can't storm the field because I actually don't know the reason why the SEC has said that. Um, but a lot of SEC teams getting fined this year after good games. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ole Miss comes up, comes away with that five point win. Uh, I mean, really a back and forth game all around, and then. Uh, Ole Miss had a big enough lead going into the fourth quarter that they got outscored seven to nothing in the fourth quarter, but it didn't matter. They ended up winning uh, thirty-one and twenty-six. And the next game I will be going to is in the Big Twelve. Uh, Oklahoma State won thirty-two to twenty-four over t- over number twenty-five Texas on the road. Uh, as I said earlier, as I foreshadowed, I guess uh, outscoring them sixteen to nothing in the fourth quarter alone. What kind of a meltdown is that? I mean, it's the Texas meltdown, second week in a row. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, there is no other way to describe it. There has not been a better team at losing games that they should be winning, and oh, really, and really, a big lead. Like, I mean, Ole Miss is Ole Miss's defense has been maligned all year for not blowing for for blowing leads and giving up too many points. But when you look back on it. Ole Miss last weekend got a one-point win because they stopped the two-point conversion, and this weekend they came into the fourth quarter with a 12-point lead and only gave up a touchdown. Well, it's not great that they gave up the touchdown and they and they didn't score. It doesn't say too much about their potential as a really great team, but at the same time, they are finding ways to win games, which is something that Texas is not doing. And they are in the same positions Texas are, actually with smaller leads. Ole Miss's biggest lead against Arkansas was, I think, 14 points. And then you have, maybe even just seven, and then you have Texas, who was up 21 last weekend um, on Oklahoma, and they could not close the game out. And they were up 21 in the first quarter, could have extended the lead. Oklahoma went through a quarterback change and still won the game. I mean, when a team's in that much turmoil and wins the game off of offensive performance... That should be pretty embarrassing for you. So Texas can't find a way to win games. Uh, I couldn't really tell you why, but a 24-16 to 16 lead going into the fourth quarter should be easy enough to protect. Uh, and even if it's not, this game shouldn't have been a 16 to nothing shutout in the fourth quarter. At least Texas could have managed some points to keep it close, and they really just failed to do that. Uh, and then the last game I will go to is in the Big Ten, Michigan State over Indiana. Only wanted to mention this because I didn't see it as an impressive road win. Um, but it was a close game, and it was one worth mentioning when, I don't know, half the Big Ten was on bye week this week. Um, so, I mean, Michigan, Penn State, and I believe Ohio State, too, were all on bye. It helped set up some really good games in the future. Yeah, it does. And also, I mean, but again, there's no, there were no teams playing this weekend. If you look at the top 25 games, uh, pretty much none of them were a top 25 team against another one. I think Oklahoma State and Texas might have been the only one. Uh, and then you just have a bunch of teams where... You know, you're just kind of, it's just random teams just playing and they're ranked and they're playing an unranked team. Some of them at home, some of them on the road, but nothing really too interesting to point out. So this game was supposed to be close going in. It was 20 to 15 Michigan State. Indiana could have made a two-point conversion that would have changed the game. Uh, But it was also the best game because it was actually kind of, it was also one of the best games because 
it, it actually wasn't played very clean, but at the same time kind of made it interesting to watch. Uh, there was a point where Indiana threw an interception on their own 30-yard line, and Michigan State responded by throwing a pick on the very next play when they had an opportunity to just play conservative in the fourth quarter and really extend their lead, and they didn't, and they gave up another inter- and they threw an interception. But again, Indiana didn't do anything to it, so it was really one of those games that instead of being team scoring back and forth like Ole Miss and Arkansas last week. I don't know why I'm talking about that game so much, but I mean a 52-51 to 51 score line is pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, it wasn't one of those games where it was close. It was the opposite, where each team was finding ways yes. not to score shooting as opposed to... Shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, shoot a, not a shootout, but a shooting yourselves in the foot uh, rematch. But anyway, uh, yeah, a five-point game that really wasn't actually all too uh, impressive by either team, but it was still a good game if you actually go by the standards of what makes a good game. And Michigan State still comes up with probably, I would argue, their hardest win of the year just because it's a Big Ten win, and Miami is not that good. So I don't consider that Miami win as very good anymore. All right, well, speaking of uh, unranked teams playing ranked teams and maybe uh, knocking them off, let's go to the upsets from last weekend. Well, LSU won 49-42 over number 20, Florida, at home. Uh, However, you said knocking them off. They also knocked out their own coach somehow in the same week, which uh, I was a little confused about because we'll talk... I mean, we'll talk about this now because I guess it makes the most sense. Uh, I don't know why Ed Ogeron wasn't just fired last week or after the UCLA game or anything like that. It's very strange to make the decision to let him go after the season, after you win a big game against the top 20 team. Uh, I don't really get the rationale. And also if they did it earlier, it would be like, maybe he could redeem himself and get, and give his team some motivation. But at this point you had the motivation and you had the momentum and now you've killed it. Uh, So I don't think that was very, very smart. And also they let Les Miles go a lot of eight and five, eight and four, uh, nine and four seasons after his national championship without firing him, they had a very short leash on Ed Ogeron. I mean, it's been two years since they won. They, 17 I mean, games played. Well, and and not even that, but they won the national championship and I'm then sorry, had... 17 games played But they won the national championship game, game, had the 2020 COVID season, which as you've seen with programs like Penn State and Michigan, it was kind of a fluke season. And with Indiana in the opposite direction... Even Oklahoma State qualifies in that category to some extent. Uh, A lot of teams played a lot better or a lot worse than they should have last year, and then this year have turned it around, and he really really did not get the opportunity to do that. And this isn't Joe Burrow. This team is not supposed to be that good. So I would actually argue that he was doing a pretty decent job so far with this team. If you told me how good UCLA was going to play at the beginning of the year and also that uh, Florida would be ranked this high and all the teams they play would be ranked where they are, I would say four and three is exactly what I would expect. So I don't actually think it was a terrible coaching job. Yeah. Uh, well, a two things. Um, how? Well, what kind of a commentary is this on Florida's program, where uh, an unranked team beating you by seven gets your coach fired? But in all seriousness, it's just when it got announced. This has been in the works. I think they signed the paperwork. They got the deal done. So I don't think this was a case. This was going to happen no matter what. But it is strange timing. All right. Let's and they also could have held off maybe until the next loss, yeah, word, knowing that word, it was finally done. Yeah, word leaked out. Uh, all right, let's move to another SEC game. Upset time. Auburn beat Arkansas 38-23 to on the road. By the way, Auburn unranked Arkansas number 17 in the country. Very interesting upset. Uh, it's actually strange because the teams Arkansas beat earlier in the year have kind of gone in opposite directions of each other, so it was becoming really hard to judge Arkansas. 
their loss to Ole Miss by one point looks okay because Ole Miss continues to look better. But their win over A&M looks a lot better because A&M beat Alabama. But their win against Texas does not look like it means anything at all because Texas is not playing well whatsoever. Uh, they are four and three themselves. So it, it's very odd. It's very hard to judge Arkansas. And I mean, sure they got beat up by Georgia, but haven't didn't hasn't every team that's played Georgia. I mean, there's no such thing as not getting beaten up by Georgia. Although Clemson actually only lost by seven points. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was really surprised that Auburn came in and got this upset on the road. If this was a home game, I actually would have picked Auburn in this game. This was one of those games where they're evenly matched enough that really the home team is going to be the one that you pick to win the game. Uh, KJ Jefferson didn't play too all too bad for Arkansas, but just overall, the inability to come up with a stop, a bunch of bad miscommunications and bad play calling on defense really led, led to this loss. Uh, and then also, no points in the fourth quarter, just like Texas for Arkansas. All right. Next one with the spoiler makers. <laughs> the spoiler makers. That's, that's a good name. name. Back from back in the day. All right. Well, uh, Purdue with the twenty-four to seven upset on the road of Iowa. If you thought Auburn beating Arkansas was interesting, how about a bigger margin with an unranked team beating the number two team in the country? Although, according to our rankings, they were number four because we, of course, knew that beating a backup quarterback from Penn State when you were down by a lot with the main quarterback in the game uh, wasn't that impressive, and also. I will go on the record and say that Spencer Petras is the second-worst quarterback in the Big Ten. So I don't think that Iowa really has anything to think that the number two ranking was deserved. Uh, but they have the defense that's forcing 20 turnovers overall in, in the first six games or something before this game. So what they were doing is forcing three and a half turnovers per game and getting, I mean, you get you get a touchdown on two out of the three of those, and you're already scoring 14 points per game off of turnovers alone. You need one other drive to get to 21, and if your defense is forcing three and a half turnovers per game, they're probably not allowing teams to, to score more than 20. And that was kind of their model of winning games. They beat Penn State 23-20. to 20. All of a sudden, a team puts up 24 on them and doesn't turn the ball over very much, and they're getting killed. Uh, I think it was that simple. Their formula was completely busted. And I think for the rest of the season... All you got to do is not turn the ball over. However, I will give credit to Iowa that most of the turnovers they get are not random tipped passes and bad throws. They're actually good defensive plays uh, and good jobs by people to keep pursuing the ball and back each other up to make sure that fumbles don't land out of bounds, that they can come in as the extra tackler and get a strip. But at the same time, this offense has nothing but a run game. And when you can just kind of stack the box, it almost turns into like if the Tennessee Titans didn't have Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback where they do, you would think that they'd be able to play action off of their run game, but they just don't have the talent to do that. And Spencer Petras misses a lot of throws and throws a lot of interceptions. Uh, so Purdue taking that win just because of that. And then David Bell's just, I mean, just like Rondell Moore, there's just so much talent for Purdue's receivers, which is, I still don't understand why, but uh, Purdue seems to produce really great receivers year after year after year. So Purdue comes out with this upset because of that. Purdue has won, uh, as an unranked team, they've outset the number two team in the country nine times. That's the most by far. I believe the next closest team in the history of college football is four times. Um, I think they also rank as one of the highest ranked teams, not, not just unranked versus ranked matchups, but uh, upset victories over top five teams. The spoiler makers. All right, let's move on to our final uh, big upset of the week. Utah upsets number 18 Arizona State, 35-21. to 21. Listen to the listen to the scores by quarter in this game. 7 to 7, 14 to nothing Arizona State, so a 21 to 7 halftime lead, and then Utah in the second half, 14 nothing, 14 nothing. 
That is the formula of winning a game. Uh, except for, I mean, maybe you don't want to go into the halftime down 14 points. But if you had kept, the, say it's 21 to 14, and you say, okay, we kept the game close. We played a bad, a play. We played a bad half and kept it close. Let's just blow them out in the second half. That's exactly what Utah did. Uh, but this was a big comeback win for them, and I mean, they just played well enough to get this upset. I mean, you know, another Pac-12 after dark game. Every every single time one of these games are on, it's always crazy. Uh, and apparently when Stanford beat Oregon, they actually flipped it. So now it's not even just Pac-12 after dark. It's just Pac-12 after 3.30. Um, but no matter what no matter what time it is, the Pac-12 is always crazy. And I think that says more about the fact that they really never have a top team in that conference. I don't think there's ever a team who's really unbeatable. Uh, I don't think that Ohio State and Alabama keep going undefeated because they have weak teams around them. I think it's just because they're a lot better. I think the Pac-12 is the opposite situation where teams can only get their undefeated records because there is nobody to beat them around them. Uh, but this year, it seems like it seems like Oregon's hanging on by a thread because of their win against Ohio State that they're a top team still. But Every other team in this conference has not does not have what it takes to barely even be ranked. I would argue, uh, and with their all, with all their schedules, they get credit for wins over each other. But how much do those win? How much credit should those wins get? I don't think it should be very much. Uh, but regardless, Utah comes out with the win. I guess that makes them the second best team in the Pac-12 at this point. Um, but good upset at home. Yeah, a nice win for Utah. Uh, keeps them in the race in the Pac-12 South. All right, uh, most impressive teams for the weekend besides those upset teams? Well, I will go with Baylor beating BYU again, even though BYU was number 19. Uh, that wasn't an upset also because Boise State did beat BYU on the road, uh, and Boise State was 3-3 three and three going into that game. Or actually, no, I think they were 2-3 and three going into that game and were 3-3 three and three after the win. So Baylor was favored by 6.5 coming into this game, won by 14 points. They did take care of business in this game. Uh, and I mean, that's really all you can ask for though. So I will still say they're impressive because of it, but I didn't feel like listing that as an upset and it wasn't really that interesting of a game. Uh, the next team I'll go with, with is NC state for winning 33 to seven on the road at Boston college, number 22 in the country, NC state against unranked Boston college. This game was supposed to be close. Boston college, uh, has played a lot of teams close in the past. So it was NC state, uh, a lot of teams that are better than them even, but this time, NC State comes out and just hammers Boston College. Uh, and then, last but not least, Texas A&M over Missouri, because normally when you get a big win like beating the number one team in the country at home, playing a 2-3 and three team on the road the next week might be a trap game for you, a 2-3 and three team that still very much has some talent. Uh, so Missouri, I thought, might have been a game that Texas A&M could have lost, and Texas A&M came out, played very well, outscored Missouri 21-0 in the first quarter, and ended up winning the game 35-14. So a good performance by Texas A&M. All right, the most impressive player or players from this past weekend? Well, Matt Corral was 21-38, of 231 yards, uh, two touchdowns and an interception, which I think is pretty standard. But Matt Corral is a quarterback, and he had 30 carries along with his 38 pass attempts. There are teams this weekend who probably did not run 68 total plays on offense. Imagine all imagine 68 plays alone from one guy making all the contributions, either making the throw or running. And by the way, those 30 rushes did net 198 yards, so nearly a six and two thirds yards per carry average, which is amazing. Uh, I don't even know how he rushed that many times. I thought it was misprinted when I first looked at the stat sheet and saw that. I was like, that's just the wrong name. That that, that must be just printed wrong. That's an error. Uh, 
And I had to, I, I literally looked at it on multiple sites to make sure it was actually true. Um, but that's just a crazy number. And the fact that he still, I mean, the completion percentage, not great, but the fact that their offense was still able to put 31 points up on the board with him rushing 30 times and throwing the ball 38 times, that's a lot of fatigue and pressure to put on your quarterback. And he still delivered. All right. Best road wins. Well, we mentioned the three before, uh, but I will give it to Oklahoma State, Auburn, and Purdue. Uh, Oklahoma State because they were the underdog in that game. However, they did pull out a, a, a good win over Texas and really uh, rallied at the end of the game to get that win. Purdue, obviously, for that win over Iowa. I mean, I could put them alone, but I felt like giving also some respect to Auburn for their unlikely upset, too. So those are my three teams for the best road wins. All right, and what are your overall takeaways from across the college football landscape in week six? Well, with Probably Michigan, well, with Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, the Big Ten East is going to win the Big Ten again. Uh, we just saw that Iowa cannot even beat Purdue. If you think that they can beat any of the four teams I just mentioned, I don't think they can, let alone the fact that they're only going to see the best of the four teams that I just mentioned. Uh, so... The Big Ten East will win that division again, just like they have in a lot we'll of past years. Yeah, we'll win the conference again. Um, then next, if Cincinnati keeps winning by these margins, I think they will make the college football playoff just because they remind me a lot of a Clemson team or a Florida State team in the past that have made playoff games uh, or have made the playoffs by just winning all their games and taking care of who's in front of them, having a few uh, resume-building wins. And then also just having some, and then also just beating who's in front of them. That's really all they can do. Uh, it's not really on them that their conference sucks, <laughs> uh, just like it wasn't on Clemson or Florida State when the ACC had their down years. And they still probably have another ranked game or two on the schedule, depending on who comes out in the uh, conference championship game. But I believe they do have SMU on their schedule, who's currently ranked 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, again, Houston is 5-1 and one and could end up ranked if they keep going with their winning ways as soon as some other teams drop out of the rankings, maybe some two, three lost teams. You can't really leave group of five teams out when they have when they're eight and one compared to like a six and three team in the Big Ten. Uh, so since he probably has a good enough resume already, especially with that road win against Notre Dame, they should be rooting heavy for Notre Dame to keep winning because if Notre Dame ends up as an eleven and one team with only a loss to Cincinnati. It makes Cincinnati look really great that they were able to come in on the road and beat that team. Uh, Next one, I think Pitt is winning the ACC Coastal because I think that Virginia Tech was the second best team in that division. Uh, second place is three and two Virginia. Third place is three and three North Carolina, uh, and Pitt right now is, I believe, one and one in conference. So uh, you take that, and that looks pretty good for Pitt. And we'll have to see what has to go on in the rest of the conference uh, to see if they will win the overall ACC championship. But I think they have the division. Unlock, although I also said that about Iowa, so maybe don't take my word for it. Um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State will decide the Big 12 because I don't think Oklahoma is going to have any struggles with Baylor. Uh, and Oklahoma State already beat Baylor. So you have a one-loss Baylor team. Then you have Oklahoma and Oklahoma State who are both undefeated. And then every single other team in the Big 12 has at least two losses in conference. So if you think that any other team is going to catch up to one of these two, they won't. Uh, that will be an interesting game to decide it. Although, then again... It's the Big 12, so frankly, they might just end up rematching the next week, which will be very, very interesting and honestly very funny if it happens that you'll have one team, I don't know, maybe maybe if they keep winning, it's it's Oklahoma State, the number five team in the country against Oklahoma, the number two team in the country, number five beats number two, and the number two beats number five the next week. Then what do you do with the playoffs? Um, 
And then lastly, I think Alabama's loss to Texas A&M might have been a fluke. They could still win the SEC. I think I still have my money on Georgia just like I did all the way from week two. Uh, but at the same time, Alabama is playing better than I thought they would after that loss. I thought that that loss was more indicative than it was. All right, that wraps up our look at college football for week seven. Let's move on from college football to our weekly review of NFL action. Let's start with the best games from week six. Well, there were actually three overtime games this week. Uh, so I'll start with all of those. The Steelers beat the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football 23-20 in overtime. The Geno Smith versus Big Ben battle, a classic battle of quarterbacks. Uh, not really. Um, then you have the Patriots, who lost in overtime because they threw a pick six and then also threw a 80-yard touchdown on the very next play uh, to send it to overtime. Actually, not to send it to overtime, but to take the lead before the Cowboys ran down, kicked another field goal to then send it to overtime where the Cowboys got the game-sealing touchdown by C.D. Lamb. So 35-29 to Cowboys over the Patriots. That was a really fun game to watch. Uh, and then finally, well, not finally, actually. Finally, have the overtime games. Uh, the Vikings won 34-28 to over the Panthers. The Panthers completed, I believe, a 4th and 15 from their own 3-yard line. Uh, I know that Sam Darnold was in the was in the end zone when he, or it was just a 4th and 10, but he was in the end zone when he threw the pass over the middle uh, to actually start their 2-minute drill to tie the game. And then from then on, well, as it typically works in the NFL, the coin toss did win the game. Although, the Steelers game... That coin toss did not win the game as both teams punted before kicking field goals as only the Seahawks and Steelers could do in an overtime game. Uh, but the Vikings did capitalize immediately, scored a touchdown. It was K.J. Osborne who threw his helmet in the air. Uh, I don't know who caught it, but somebody caught it. And then he just walked off the field. Uh, pretty simple for them. Uh, and then finally, the Jaguars get their first win in their last 21 games although they have still lost 20 straight games inside of the United States of America because they won this game in London. Uh, good luck winning a game in America. This team could still go 1-15, and I think that would be really funny if this team just had a curse where they couldn't win anywhere but London. And frankly, if they could only win in London, they should move to London. 1-16. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, the, the, that's right, the extra game this year. Uh, well, also for the Dolphins, I mean... You started one and three. You got two a back. Okay, sure, you lose two his first week back. But when you're playing the Jaguars, you have to wake up. I mean, maybe their fans didn't have to wake up because it was a little bit too early. Uh, but you got to wake up and play well in this game, and they did not. Uh, they let the Jaguars go down, regardless of whether Matthew Wright might have kicked a field goal that started 10 feet out uh, to wide right and then somehow hooked back in from about 50 yards out and then made another 53-yard game-winning field and then made another 53-yarder to win the game, you can't lose to the Jaguars. I mean, that's the number one to do for any single team. And there are a lot of teams this weekend who played really bad teams and just made it pretty easy and looked like made every single team that is bad look really, really, really bad. All right, well, how about teams who looked really bad, your most disappointing teams? Well, the two teams that looked really bad actually played each other the week before, and maybe that's what has to do with it. They both scored almost 50 points. It's the Chargers and the Browns. The Chargers losing 34-6 to on the road against Baltimore. Uh, all the talk about the Chargers possibly being the best team in the AFC probably got put to bed this weekend, uh, not only just because of what they did, but because of the team they played, uh, who was the, one of the other teams with the 4-1 record. I believe it was just Baltimore. Uh, the Chargers, I almost said San Diego, <laughs> um, and then the Bills, who had 4-1 and one records going into this week, uh, and the Ravens are the only team who exit 5-1 and one in the AFC. Uh, then you have the Cardinals, who moved to 6-0 and oh this week, 
beating the Browns 37-14. Uh, yeah, the Browns got injured late in this game. Kareem Hunt got injured. Nick Chubb was out, and Baker Mayfield dislocated his shoulder. But you played a team that didn't have its coach and gave up 37 points at home. There's nothing more I need to say about it. That is a disappointing performance uh, by the defense and by the offense. They only scored seven points that weren't on the longest air distance throw since 2017 on a Hail Mary at the end of the half. So when you think about it that way, this team didn't do anything other than give up points and not have any ability to score. Uh, So just a terrible performance by the Browns. And uh, really, the Cardinals still looking good, though. All right, the most impressive teams. Well, I'll start with I talked about how the Dolphins could not beat uh, the Jaguars and how you need to take care of business. Here's a team who did take care of business. The Bengals went on the road, won 34-11 at the Lions, but that scoreline is deceiving because guess what? Going into the fourth quarter, the score of this game was 20 to nothing. Uh, The the Bengals' offense we know can score because they have Joe Burrow, they have T. Higgins, they have Jamar Chase, they have Joe Mixon, they have a lot of weapons there. Uh, But the defense has been something that... It's been an average unit. It's been a good. It's been a good defense for a five and eleven team. But with this team now being three and two, now moving to four and two, the defense had to be better than good for five and eleven. It needed to be a good defense, and I think this week proved that they are a good defense. I mean, they played so well that they forced uh, Dan Campbell to talk about how he needs Jared Goff to step up this week, even though it's not like zero and six is all on a quarterback. I mean, there are plenty of other <laughs> other things wrong with the Lions right now, uh, but. It, it, it really does go to show you that the Bengals are playing some good defense right now, and you know that offense is going to keep delivering. 4-2 and two is a really good start for that team. Uh, the next team I will move on to, the Packers for their win uh, at the Bears, 24-14. Not necessarily like a game that you would expect the Packers to lose, but a game that you can make a statement by winning handily, and they did. They won by 10. Their defense finally played very well against a team that, okay, Justin Fields isn't necessarily uh, playing like an MVP right now, but... He was playing pretty well and had some momentum, so for them to come in and completely shut down the Packers, uh, or completely shut down the Bears, I should say, that was a pretty good uh, sign for the Packers' defense long-term. Talking about other teams who took care of business and also only allowed 11 points, uh, the Rams won 38-11 at the Giants. Uh, You hear a lot of, I mean, I heard a lot of chatter about how if a team goes from the West and plays in the Eastern time zone at 10 in the morning, They sometimes don't exactly wake up for the game fully and don't play well. Well, the Cardinals did not have to play at 10 a.m. West Coast time, but they went to the East Coast. Well, not necessarily the East Coast because they were in Cleveland, but they went in and they got a win. Uh, The Rams went out and killed the Giants, so I'm not giving the Chargers any excuses there. Um, You can go from the West to the East Coast and still win a game. Makes and it a lot easier for playing the Giants. Yes, but, but I mean, the Cardinals also beat the Browns, who, frankly, if you ask people preseason, some of them would say that the Browns were better than the Ravens and going to beat them for the for the division. So uh, they were clearly playing a good team, too. And by the way, the Rams are really good on the East Coast for some random reason. Um, but look, take care of business. That's all you can ask for. Uh, the second to last team I want to talk about, the Raiders scored 34 points, won 34-24, without their head coach. Uh, Obviously, we know about what happened to John Gruden. We talked about it on last Monday's podcast. But this was a big bounce-back game for the Raiders. I thought they weren't going to win this game. Uh, And just because the Broncos had started the season 3-0, had lost two in a row, you figure playing the Raiders team who's, you know, without their team leader, they're without their coach, right? Uh, They might have a down week, and the Broncos might be able to exploit that and finally get back into into their winning ways. 
They were not able to. The Raiders came in, got a big road win, and all of a sudden they're four and two. Uh, out of the Broncos at three and three, and by the way, they're actually tied atop the AFC West with the Chargers after that win. It's crazy how quickly things can turn. Although the Chiefs are obviously coming as they've started to play better recently too. Um, last but not least, the Titans. They beat who I thought was the best team in the AFC. The Titans have poked their head into that conversation a little bit. They now have the same record as those Buffalo Bills that they beat uh, tonight, thirty-four to thirty-one. Outscored the Bills ten to nothing in the fir- in the fourth quarter. Not really much of a loss. Uh, for the Bills because they really did have the opportunity to kick a field goal to tie the game, but it felt like more of a culture-establishing play call with about 20 seconds left in the game to go for it on fourth and one on the six-yard line of the Bill uh, on the six-yard line of the Titans, I should say. Um, in the long run, that division is too easy to win, so the four and two mark is not going to be anything that's going to uh, detract them from their season-long goals of the winning of the division. I mean. The Dolphins are 1-5, the Jets are in this division, and then the Patriots are 2-4. and four. So it's not like the Bills are in any danger whatsoever of losing this division. So you might as well kind of try to take a shot here and there, get a little bit crazy with the play calling, try to send some messages to other teams, try to make sure that you're not ending the game on a coin toss and not playing conservatively when, well, you have like a three-game lead and better, and better talent to play with uh, in that game. So... I'm not surprised at what the Bills did. I don't really consider it as that huge of a loss, but it's still impressive by the Titans to come out with that win. And I mean, you're not going to stop Derrick Henry from running, and he just gets better and better as the game gets on somehow. Uh, but I'm really just impressed with how the Titans played. All right, your most impressive players from the weekend. Well, I'll go with players. Who, well, I'll go with one player who ended his game single-handedly and then actually got pulled early because he won by so much. Uh, Matthew Stafford, 22 of 28, 251 yards, four touchdowns and interception. The Rams defense actually finally stepped up to allow him uh, to play so easily and free uh, during this game. He only needed to throw 28 passes to put up 38 points, which should tell you how many, how how uh, how good the field position was for the Rams all game. Uh, but then the next two I will go with, they're both Cowboys players. Uh, Dak Prescott, 36 of 51, 445 touchdowns, or... <sighs> That, that would, would be, be crazy. <laughs> I think I don't think I would name another. Pl- never be broken. I don't think I would ever talk about uh, another impressive player. I mean, I think I would <laughs> shut down the segment for forever and just repeat that over and over and over again. But uh, 445 yards yeah. passing, not running. He's not Matt Corral. Uh, three touchdowns and then one interception. Uh, and most of those yards were to C.D. Lamb, the second, the last uh, impressive player I will mention who had nine receptions for 149 yards and two touchdowns, although most of that was just on his game-sealing touchdown, which I believe was a 30-yard touchdown. So that kind of inflated his stats a little bit. But eight receptions for 115 yards and a touchdown would also be a good game. That game-sealing touchdown really did give you an extra bit of uh, of stat padding there, I could say. Uh, but again, that's a great game, regardless of if he got that second one or not. But also... Look, the Cowboys just played a good game. They won a good game, and CeeDee Lamb did have a game-sealing walk-off touchdown, so you got to give props to a guy who gets the walk-off touchdown, right? Yes, definitely. Any other uh, overall takeaways from across the NFL in Week 6? Well, I'm surprised, but the Raiders and Steelers still have some fight left in them. Uh, the Steelers moved to 3-3 three and three after their win over the Seahawks, although really they should have taken care of the Seahawks a lot more easier than that uh, without Geno Smith. Well, with Geno Smith playing instead of Russell Wilson. Uh, the Raiders, I'm surprised, as I said, that they got that win without their coach, but they're going to have to do it in the future, too, because he's obviously not coming back. Uh, next, it's Bills versus Ravens for the a- for the best in the AFC, but I still believe the Titans and others are some serious threats. 
I don't even believe that the Chargers are, are really uh, terrible from this one game. The Browns have some long-term injury concerns that they have to deal with, so I am kind of ruling them out for now. Uh, but there are still some other teams that could get back into this picture, and also the Chiefs, obviously, at 3-3 three and three also will, will still find their way back into it eventually. Uh, the Lions could actually go 0-17. I would not be surprised. Um, <laughs> this team is not good, and the worst thing you can do before a, before a game against the Rams... Uh, for Jared Goff, your team is 0-6, and you decide as a coach that you're going to say that Jared Goff needs to step up right before he plays the team that said, this guy can't win a championship at all. He got us to the Super Bowl, but he's not good enough to win. That was everybody else carrying him there. Uh, he's not good enough to play for us. Now he'll go play for you. You trade us your franchise quarterback. We'll trade you ours. Good luck. Deal with him. And now you shipped him off to Detroit, and now Detroit is saying that they don't even want him and would even consider starting backup quarterback David Blau, who has less career wins at Purdue than Jared Goff did probably in one season with the Rams when the Rams went to the Super Bowl. Uh, so just the Lions are just not doing well right now. And I think this is actually, pro this is easily the worst team in the league uh, because the Jaguars did get a win. And by the way, I would say that Trevor Lawrence long-term the, by the end of the season will probably start playing better than Jared Goff just because of the talent that he has. Um, lastly, the Cowboys could be a legitimate threat in the NFC. I don't actually... I'm not I'm not normally someone who buys into the Cowboys hype because I think it all goes away super soon. Um, and this season would be another season to maybe not give into it just because of the fact that they haven't really played anybody yet. But winning an overtime game is who no matter who it's against is a character building win. Uh, and it was important for them to go to Foxborough, a place where they probably wouldn't win that much, but that they ended up getting it. Uh, that's a pretty big win for the Cowboys. And I do think that there are some. I mean, if you look at the best team in the NFC right now by record. It's the Cardinals at 6-0. They have Kyler Murray. They have a young quarterback. And Dak is actually more experienced than Kyler, uh, obviously. So you Dak is actually now, at this point, almost a veteran. I mean, if you want to consider it that way. So uh, he's, he's he definitely has enough experience under his belt to take this team maybe to where they thought they would be uh, for a long time. And uh, I have the belief that the Cowboys could be a threat. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if they went 9-1 and still don't do anything in the rest of the year just because their schedule is pretty easy. Okay, well, that wraps up our look back at the NFL, and it wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, October 29th, where we will have our weekly analysis of Major League Baseball action and some other important news from the world of sports. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons, and the sixth, seventh installment of our College Football Top 25 poll, which will be published on Tuesday on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.